Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to another all-new edition of geek to me Radio. Today, we have a Neil Gaiman-themed show for you. We'll be talking to the composers from American Gods, Danny Bensey and Sonder Urens. We'll then be joined by author-penciler Colleen Doran, talking about her time working on Sandman and her other projects. All that and more, stand by. We're talking to And if you're driving around the greater St. Louis area right now, hearing this on 105.3 FM and 1380 AM, thank you for finding us and tuning in. If you're hearing us out there in the world, streaming us on the web, thank you very much for that. And of course, if you're hearing us after the fact in the podcast form on Google Play, SoundCloud, iTunes, Podomatic, or wherever you get your podcast from, thank you for subscribing there. We're going to get right to our first guests. We're talking now with Danny Bensey and Sonder Urians, uh, talking about their work composing scoring american gods which was such a huge hit for stars uh season two what an amazing cast and what fantastic music gentlemen thank you very much for taking time to be on air with us no problem having us absolutely so with this one uh there's a lot of expectations placed on american gods with uh uh, neil gaiman uh, and then with the true with the amazing cast they've had uh ricky whittle ian mcshane crispin glover uh, where did the two of you come in as far as uh, being brought in on the project and what were your feelings coming into it? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure how we got kind of put in the pot for the, for the running for season two, but I know they switched up the showrunner and everything for season two. And they kind of, I think they wanted to just kind of switch up the whole, the whole team. So um, we got called in. We had met with Jesse Alexander, who was the showrunner, and he was a big fan of some of our of our uh, past scores. Um, Ozark, I think, was one of the one of the main things that they really enjoyed. And then also he knew about our score for For Honor, which is a video game. Um, and then we kind of signed on from there. And um, yeah, we were pretty excited to to be a part of it. It's a pretty, uh, I mean, for for creative people and for compose composers uh, it's a it's kind of an ideal project because it's all over the place it's like there's not really any rules um and there's so many so many kind of textures and musical styles to explore so it was exciting yeah i would certainly think uh diverse music background would be a must when they were looking at uh bringing composers on yeah. for this because as you mentioned it is such there's no particular uh, straight through. I mean, that's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and uh, I would assume that'd be very fun as a composer to not have necessarily those restrictions. Yeah, 
for sure. So when you were working on this, um, I assume you'd, you'd seen season one, you kind of knew where they're going, but having a different showrunner brought on as well must have kind of uh, changed things up. How much did your expectations change from what you were originally thinking to when you met with the showrunners and writers and kind of got more of a sense for what exactly it was they wanted for this season? I mean, I think it all stayed pretty, um, pretty, pretty consistent. Uh, the, you know, like we didn't want to like, we really enjoyed the, the, the first season and we didn't want to rock the boat too much. And I mean, we wanted to put our own, you know, our own kind of stamp on it. Um, but, you know, Brian Wright did a great job of really like making a really interesting, eclectic, um, experimental score. Um, and so we just kind of carried on with that, with that, um, that torch, um, and, but did it in our own way. Um, and then obviously once we started to see footage and, and actually watch the episodes and, you know, we had our own take on it, which was, you know, a little bit more of a, a grittier kind of more Americana vibe going kind of thread going through the whole thing. And with the actors being uh, some fantastic names on this, had you gotten any feedback from like, did Crispin Glover come up and say, Hey, love what you're doing. Did you, did you, did you interact with any of the, uh, the actors and have they given you any wish. feedback at all? Like, Hey, loved your stuff. <laughs> no, they never, uh, they, that rarely happens. They never do our, that. Yeah. <laughs> unappreciative jerks that's what they are they should be coming up and talking (laughs) (laughs) i mean sometimes you know it'll be the premiere something will go up to them and say hey yeah you know we're big fans we did the music and then they'll be like oh but but i don't think they just don't even know who we are they wouldn't know to look for us really we're so behind the scenes (laughs) see i'm one of those people i i played when i was in high school i played in pit orchestra and so when I go to see shows and everything, I'm always very appreciative to stay till the end because the band is playing all the way through uh, as the audience leaves. And I always stay there, clap for the band and thank them and uh, the orchestral. That's a huge part. Music is a large, huge part of what moves the drama. Can you imagine turning mute on your TV and trying to watch American Gods with yeah. no music? It would be quite a different story. So what you guys do is brilliant. Well, that's what happens when we look at a first episode that maybe has some temp music or may not have some temp music and it's just bare bones. And we, and you look at it, and you're like, you can either look at it with excitement, like, "Ooh, I can't wait to score this," or you look at it with fear, <laughs> apprehension, because <laughs> you're like, "What am I? What are we gonna do?" Um, but yeah, it, it's a great process. <laughs> and your work on Netflix Ozark, I gotta say, because that was one of those shows that um, it was just so unexpected. It, usually, I'm used to Jason Bateman, especially from Arrested Development and uh, Horrible Bosses, but to have him in this kind of the, this dark world and your music perfectly underscored uh, the setting, the ambiance. So, again, great job on Ozark as well. I just want to say I'm a fan. Awesome. Thank Thanks you. So yeah. We had so much fun doing that. That's good. So much fun. Yeah. Very different from American Gods and that is a very – it's a very um, – uh, you know the, the 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 whole palette of the show. Oh, I think I lost you. I didn't. All I heard was the whole palette of the show. Did we lose you? I think we lost him, but I'm still here. Danny's still here. So um, he was going to probably talk about the palette of the show. Which, um, well, we sat down with Jason, and and we he one of the first things he said was, "Guys, uh, I love your music, but 
you should know that I'm a huge classical music fan. Uh-huh. We were both like, what? I didn't know that. Okay. And, um, uh, and although we didn't end up doing sort of any sort of classical music, I mean, there are some moments, but uh, for, for the show, um, we're like, ooh, here's a, you know, a music aficionado um, that we didn't know. So this is a surprise. But in the end, when we started to describe what we were thinking for the show, it was, um, uh, you know, we sat down with him. It was, it was all quite easy. We, 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 we told him we were interested in, you know, once we had described the show, he had described the show to us and what it was kind of like in this gritty sort of thriller, like uh, impending sort of doom um, and, you know, huge tension. What we actually went out to go do was we recorded a bunch of, like, rogue trash percussion around New York City to sort of emulate the the the, the sort of human uh, waste, if you want to call it that, in the Ozarks, you know, like trailers and jet skis and, you know, um, and just, you know, crap. And so we sort of got <laughs> some of that and, 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 like, recorded it all in, at different velocities and so we could sort of use it as a bank, um, uh, you know, and have this weird sort of janky percussion along with these, like, and then we cre- we slowed down these textures um, that we created with strings and other instruments to make this, like, really foreboding um, pads to kind of use uh, for the score. And uh, when we started describing this sort of, you know, it, with, like, pads that have, like, distortion, and uh, but, the, but with all the high end rolled off, so that, like, it, it, it leaves lots of room for dialogue and the sounds and, 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 and we sort of described that to Jason, and he was just like, "Oh my God, yes!" And when we when we first um, when we first sent him the first cues, I mean, he was already like, "This is perfect, guys. This is perfect. Go at it!" You know, and, and he was just with us the whole way, like super positive. And I mean, that's it's just a great collaboration in that respect. Like we just knew what we wanted, and we all sort of spoke the same language right off the bat. Sometimes it takes time to figure out what language to to you know to speak on. Uh, when it comes to working with a new director, you know, you have to sort of figure it out. But we, we were already just, we hit the ground running with Jason. It was awesome. And you've got a very eclectic style. Uh, I guess that's almost, I would think, has to be a necessity uh, to be composers in Hollywood because there are so many different projects and such a variety of things from uh, your regular TV dramas that are on the normal networks to very, very... Um, out there shows for original series on Netflix and Hulu and everything like that. So I would think being eclectic composers is a must these days, yeah? And we'll get the answer to that question from our composer friends right after this, so stand by. Hey, this is John Heater. I've played Napoleon Time and other unforgettable characters, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. I guess it's a pretty good station. I've never heard of it or anything. We are back. 
This segment brought to you by Marcus Theaters. MarcusTheaters.com is the website. Check that website out to get your tickets for the best summer movies. Maybe you haven't seen Avengers Endgame. It's coming back in theaters if it had even left where you are. Uh, check it out. MarcusTheaters.com. Buy your tickets right there online. They've got all those other great movies you can see like Rocket Man. You can see the new Men in Black. Uh, if you want to see Dark Phoenix, I don't recommend it if you heard my review last week, but if you're going to see it, uh, you might as well be comfortable. You might as well do it with some fantastic tasting concessions. You might as well do it in the best atmosphere, which of course is Marcus Theaters. They are located in 11 different states, so you can check out the website, find the place closest to you, get an idea of the menus going forward. Sometimes you go to these places and the menus can be overwhelming. Get an idea of what they serve beforehand. Some of these places you can make it a total event night. You can go there, have dinner, and the movie all at the same location. I know Ronnie's is just like that. It's a great place uh, to take your family, go on a first day, go on a 12th or 13th date, uh, take some friends, go see your movie in first class, do it at a Marcus Theaters. MarcusTheaters.com is the website for all that information. Find the location, buy your tickets, get movie reviews, and more. MarcusTheaters.com. Before we went to break, we were talking with Danny Bensey and Sonder Urians, the composers of American Gods, and I'd ask them about uh, the need to be eclectic in this day and age of composing. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. I mean, one thing that people always, you know, when we sometimes we talk to like students and stuff to help them um, enter the field, and um, we always tell them like, before you go branching out into eighteen million different kinds of music, like focus in on one and focus in on your your favorite and and your favorite. What is your instrument if you have one? Like, and really focus in on it so you really can. That should be your your backbone, and then you expand from there. Like my instrument is the cello, and I grew up playing classical music, so that was a that was a big thing. But I had also branched out and started playing drums in like a rock band, so like that was my thing. And then Sondra is like a, a amazing guitarist, um, and grew up in Seattle, but I grew up in Europe. So like all of this different like you know uh, thing uh, types of music that we were exposed to growing up, singing in choirs, uh, playing in quartets, uh, all of that comes back. When you you know to 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 you know add to your palette and your versatility, um, even though you didn't study it necessarily, like oh I'm going to study compositions for choirs so that I can do this one moment in American Gods where there's like a choir moment, you just sort of know that it's within you somewhere because you might have sang in a choir or you might have heard it, and then and then you can sort of draw from there and, and just do your best, and that's sort of what we do. And it helps, though, you're right, to have the different styles of music that you grew up with or are interested in. And I think we've got Saunders back on the line now. So, yeah, we were just talking with Danny about how your eclectic style is kind of a must in Hollywood these days with all the different projects that are uh, out there to be worked upon. And I'm not sure how much of his you caught, but I, uh, if you also have, if you want to weigh in on that, how uh, your eclectic styles is kind of a must these days. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I heard what Danny said, actually. And I think it also helps that there's two of us, that, and we both come from very different backgrounds. So we're, we're kind of able to cover a pretty large field, both kind of stylistically and instrumentally. Um, another thing that we always try to do almost with, you know, not every single project, but, you know, every, as we're, as we're in this kind of work, we, we try to pick up instruments as we go. So we try to, you know, just, instead of always hiring somebody, sometimes we just buy the instrument and learn to play it enough to, to get by. So that's, that's one <laughs> yeah. kind of fun, like, 
aspect of what we do. Well, I would assume, yeah. too, that being uh, musicians, composers, it's not unlike being a doctor where there's constantly uh, new stuff coming out, new research. Oh, yeah. You have to go to seminars. I would assume it's no different at all for the two of you. Yeah, yeah but the I seminars mean, to... are like TV shows and movies coming out. You know? <laughs> it's like, exactly. We don't like go to seminars. Yeah, it's just like, oh, that's interesting. You know, um, you know, like, you know stage... Technology, technology-wise, we do have to kind of keep up with, you know, I mean, we do a lot of, you know, like remote recording with uh, Danny lives in L.A., I live in New York, so we're passing sessions back and forth over the Internet, so we've kind of like adapt to that kind of world, and then also, you know, the recording, the, the, actually the recording, the technical aspect of recording and being really adept at getting good recordings fast is actually a huge part of being like a composer for film and TV these days. Um, so we have to kind of stay up on that, that kind of stuff too as well. And American Gods uh, Season 2 came out March 10th on Stars, And we mentioned off-air you guys are working on a new project as well? Um, we have a couple of films coming out, one called The Lodge, which is a like psychological thriller horror film by the, the directors who did Goodnight Mommy. Uh, I'm not sure when it's coming out, but sometime this year. And then... Uh, another film called The Current War, which is about Thomas Edison and George Westinghouse's battle for the powering of the United States. Um, and that comes out, that's probably going to come out in August or September. Um, and then we've got a few shows that we're working on as well. We just had the OA came out. We did a few episodes of that. Three. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got a, a show called Nosferatu coming out in June. Um I think that's it. Oh, and then we're going to start a show called The Outsider. That's also a show that Jason Bateman's producing uh, based on a Stephen King book, which is another dark, dark subject matter. Supernatural. So it sounds like you guys have a great relationship with Jason Bateman then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love working with him. When we go in to meet with Jason, he's, there's always like Mozart playing. <laughs> and we, like, we sit down and have a tea. <laughs> Very sophisticated. I like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, a, he's so funny. And scoring horror, I know. I just uh, we just had the press screening here in St. Louis for Pet Cemetery. Talk about that genre. That the music just has that main purpose of building tension, uh, kind of bringing that feel of dread. What's your mindset going into when you're doing a uh, horror film music for that one versus something like An American Guys? Is it the same thing? You just approach it with a different uh, view, or talk a little bit about that if you could. Yeah, I think we try to avoid, you know, stereotypical horror sounds and stings and stuff like that. I mean, you got to, you have to work within some of those guidelines. But you know, for the lodge, you know, we did a lot of like very kind of, uh, I don't know, more experimental avant-garde sounding string orchestras and synth stuff. Um, but trying to stay away from like obvious horror music, and we've always tried to. Tried to do that, so we. I guess we approach every. We kind of we try to approach every project from a neutral standpoint and not a genre standpoint. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I just I, I always find it fascinating the uh, the process that composers do. Uh, as I've said before on the show, it's like you guys do high level math in a foreign language. Music is just such a, uh, a left brain <laughs> thing. And my my right brain enjoys it, but my left hand, my left brain sometimes has trouble figuring out how you guys right. pull it off. <laughs> we don't even know. <laughs> <That's the time. laughs> I think when you really get into it, it's like there are many answers 
to how to score a film, like whether whether it's a genre or, or it, taking horror, for instance, there's many things. Could it be a solo piano in a classical style? What would that mean to that scene? Or is it some weird avant-garde string or orchestra? If you have two directors in a room with two different types of, of um, with the same film, let's say, and they're both directing it, they might have different opinions on what they want for that scene. Uh, and it's our job to kind of coax them into... <clears throat> what we think is the coolest or, or the most uh, or the best, you know, um, but that th- both answers might be right, you know, and it just depends what the director wants, you know, that's, so that's, how, that's kind of what we're up against all the time. And discussing separating kind of the, the feelings about, uh, obviously this is work. This is a job for you guys versus seeing the final project and seeing something on TV and film. Do you guys have a, uh, I guess, favorite project you've worked on that might not necessarily be your favorite show or whatever, but it was the process of the creation that really have gave you guys the warm fuzzies. Enemy. I mean, I always go, I always go back to enemy cause we were so green. <laughs> we didn't really know what we yeah. were doing. And we, we kind of, we, I mean, we went in and did an orchestra recording before we even had approval on, I think we had a one cue approved or something and we hadn't even written the rest of the cues and, and we were like, oh, we might as well just get in there with the with the orchestra and start recording stuff. <laughs> and so <laughs> half of it was improv. Some of it had been like just like little little kind of excerpts that we had written down, little sketches, and um, and it just kind of came together in this amazing chaotic way. Yeah, yeah. That's sometimes the best stuff if if it's improv and kind of. Uh done sometimes those end up being better than stuff that people work and sweat and plan on for however long it takes uh but it's always fantastic to talk to uh composers like i said i love talking to people smarter than me which is most people uh so i i do appreciate your time today (laughs) danny bensey and sonder urians we've got american gods uh it's already out on stars if you're enjoying netflix there that as well uh boy erased was fantastic uh, I want to thank you both for your time today. We'll look forward to the lodge and all your future projects, gentlemen. Great. Thanks so thank much. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Fantastic interview. I always love talking to composers. We're going to take our next break. Come back talking with author illustrator Colleen Doran. Stand by. This is Tress McNeil, and you're listening to Geek to Me, and James is the cute one. <laughs> we are back. This segment of the show, and really the, the whole show in its entirety, brought to you by the City of St. Charles. DiscoverSTCharles.com is the website. A fantastic place to visit. It's a little inundated by the rising Missouri River right now, but there is still plenty to see and do. Uh, Frontier Park's closed, but that should be uh, receding here hopefully soon. And you can bike right up and down the Katy Trail, take your dog to play Frisbee in the park, uh, just sunbathe take a picnic uh there's always something fun to see and do and just because frontier park may be uh a little underwater right now there's plenty of things to see and do on main street all over st charles actually fast lane classic cars is out there if you're a car buff um there's not 
a bad time to be had in St. Charles. It's uh, right across the bridge, and we're so lucky to have it so close to us. It's a jewel right here in our own backyard, basically. Go walk the cobblestone streets, soak in the history, get some fantastic food. Uh, that new salt and smoke has gone in there, and it's doing a gangbuster business. Uh, if you're a foodie, if you're a history buff, if you just like taking in the ambience, if you want to come from afar and stay in a world-class facility, a hotel, or a charming bed and breakfast, the city of St. Charles has you covered on all of those fronts. Check out the website, Discover ST Charles. If you're from out of town, you can plan your whole trip there. Maybe you're in the area, but there might be something you've yet to discover. Then the website's the best place to start, and then just go out there and drink it in. That's Discover St. Charles, that website, discoverstcharles.com. We're joined now by my next guest who I was able to talk to at GalaxyCon Richmond. We're here at GalaxyCon Richmond with Colleen Doran. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So from a writing standpoint, with Distance Oil and things like that, right. um, as a writer, there's... Uh, what kind of projects do you like to write? Are you drawn to write? Is there a certain... Uh, space in which you enjoy kind of your creative wheelhouse? Well, um, I, I prefer science fiction and fantasy. I, I've been privileged to do adaptations on two of Neil Gaiman's short stories, bring them to comics. Um, I, I prefer to uh, write and draw, and I've only written for other people to draw a few times, and that was on The Vampire Diaries, which I loved working on, by the way. I'll bet. I was a huge <laughs> fan of the show. And um, when the editor approached me about possibly writing it, I was just so squealing like a freaking fangirl. And I think it was the first time I'd ever seen, I may be wrong and not remembering, but I think it was the first time I'd ever seen my work drawn by other people. It was completely bizarre. It was really cool, but it was so bizarre to see it because I had this running visual narrative in my head and and seeing other people uh, interpret what was in my head was just the most bizarre thing in the world. But um, but I liked it. It was fun. It, I had great artists uh, like Cat Staggs doing the art. Anyway, um, I, primarily science fiction and fantasy. I'm, I'm generally not interested in slice of life. I think I've only done one slice of life thing. I did a semi-autobiographical story. It had to be semi-autographical because it was based on somebody I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> for uh, Sexy Chicks uh, uh, years ago, and um, I think they're going to reprint that. Uh, it was about my experiences in manga fandom with people who tend to fetishize uh, Asians and Asian culture. It's not a genuine appreciation of the culture. It's a fetishization, and it used to really freak me out. But um, but in general, science fiction and fantasy, I think, yeah. And when you're drawing with that was you, a long answer for a short, you the, know. The less I have to talk, the better. So that's, okay, that's great. <laughs> Yay, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and with some of the drawings you've done, my first exposure to your art was Amazing Spider-Man, where he fought Graviton. Oh, wow. Because I love the acts of vengeance, kind of what pulled me into Marvel Comics. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. That's wonderful. <laughs> and I was thinking, when I, I first the first part I read was the spectacular, where he got the cosmic powers, and I went back and had to find the other acts of vengeance. I'm like, oh, he's got cosmic powers. He'll beat Graviton easily. And then he ended up not having the powers at that time. But that's uh, such a cool... You have to draw Spider-Man. That's got to be oh, man. amazing. That just, no pun intended. Oh, that, <laughs> <laughs> that really made my year. I mean, I, I think I was only the second woman to get to draw Spider-Man mm. at that point. I think the first one was Marie Severin. And uh, I was really gunning hard to uh, try to do more superheroes. So a lot of people think, oh, she's a girl, you know, blah, blah. She wouldn't like superheroes. 
that's not true. All of my early influences were superhero comics. All of the drawings in my sketchbooks were superhero comics. And in fact, A Distant Soil started out as a superhero comic. Hmm. It was it was all superhero fanfic. Uh, because I had a big crush on Aquaman when I was a little girl, and I started writing and drawing stories. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah, oh, my God, getting to draw Spider-Man was the greatest thing. I even dyed my hair red oh, really? so I could look like Mary Jane. <laughs> so you're a Spider-Man fan for a long time. <laughs> oh, sure. Who doesn't love Spider-Man? And I remember the first Spider-Mans I got were the John Romita Sr. Mm. drawn uh, Spider-Mans from the early 1970s. Of course, I wasn't reading comics then. But they were old comics that someone gave to me, and I, I remember thinking Peter Parker was so cute, and, and I loved the stories about living in New York City and and his daily grind of trying to get a decent apartment and get paid by right. his client, and so I loved that stuff. That really made me happy, and, and it's so funny uh, because, of course, Peter Parker was a photojournalist, basically. And Clark Kent was a journalist, and I loved those stories about their daily lives. I remember the tales of Clark Kent mm-hmm. in the back of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember those stories, and those were among my favorites. And I, I remember calling up the local newspaper and asking if they needed a cub reporter. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that go? Not well. No. <laughs> they didn't even know what I meant. I was so sad. <laughs> uh, it's, in the, it's in the genre of the comic books. Come on, people. Yeah, if that's what yeah. they use the lingo. Cub yeah. reporter, come on. But no, they, they, didn't, they didn't have a clue. They couldn't have cared less either. <laughs> and you've gotten to work with DC Comics as well. Uh, sure. So a lot of different artists had different experience with both companies, Marvel and DC. Did you have a really outstanding experience with, uh, obviously, we just talked about Spider-Man from Marvel, but with DC, do you have a really outstanding experience that kind of is your favorite among the work you've done there? And we're going to come back, getting the answer to that question from Colleen Doran right after this, so stand by. This is Greg Grunberg, Snap Wexley from Star Wars. And it's all geek to me, my friends. And we're back. We were talking with Colleen Doran while at GalaxyCon Richmond a few weekends ago, and we asked her what her favorite project was while she was working at DC. Well, um, it's not my best work, but among my favorites is, is Sandman. Mm-hmm. Uh, g- yeah. Getting to work on Sandman. A lot of people don't know this story, but the U.S. government introduced me to Neil Gaiman. In 1989, uh, the United States Information Agency, of all things, had a, uh, a, an organization within its organization called the Delphi Institute, and its purpose was to um, uh, spread American culture. So they had a grant, and it was for artists worldwide, and they picked about maybe 20 artists from all around the world to get this grant and travel around the country studying American pop culture. And I was one of the artists they chose. There were people from Egypt and the Philippines and Czechoslovakia. And it was a really interesting mix of people. And I wish I'd been in a better place to experience it well and enjoy it. But but I remember it as being uh, kind of a sea change, eye-opening for me. And one of the places we visited was DC Comics. Hmm. And I was already working there as a freelancer. So while everybody was getting the lecture, I, I still have pictures of Archie Goodwin sitting at the head of the table in the DC conference room. And there's this big plate of hors d'oeuvres and cold cuts and stuff that they put out for us and all the creators sitting around. And I snuck out because I went looking for work. 
<laughs> and I went to Karen Berger's office to say hi because she'd already hired me a few times on things like Amethyst and whatnot. And uh, she goes, oh, you know, here's this new guy. His name's Neil Gaiman. And I went, yeah, how's it going? You know, he's standing in his black low jacket. He's sort of nice and everything. And I'm like, yeah, hi, how's it going? And then I left, and I got about halfway down the hall, and I went, Neil Gaiman. I know that name. And Sandman had just started coming out. There mm. were only a few issues out. And I came running back in, and I went, Neil Gaiman, Sandman, you're Neil Gaiman. And he was like, oh, yes, hello. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, oh, you're Colleen Dawn. I, I love a distant soil. And I was like, oh, we have to work together. Now, Sandman was not doing well at the time. You mm. get, hard to believe now. Yeah, exactly. But it was shaky. And so DC Comics had just published. It, it wasn't in stores yet. They had just printed and the, the advanced copies had just come in the office. They had done a special issue of Sandman number 8 with a uh, fronts piece mm. printed in it just for retailers about the book and about the good reviews and everything. And Neil Gaiman gave me that and signed it and wrote in his name, address, and phone number and said, oh, we must work together. So uh, so that's how I ended up working on Sandman. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a great story. The U.S. government <laughs> introduced me to Neil Gaiman. They did something right. So every now and then they get it right they every couple of right. decades. Every couple of decades, yeah. <laughs> And I know I saw on, I think it was either, it must have been your uh, Twitter that you and Keith Giffen went around here, uh, went to the Poe Museum. We did. Oh, how we was, had the loveliest time. We loved it. Um, I, I really wasn't sure what to expect. It's it's not the original house. The original house is gone, but it's three uh, very old buildings, and apparently it's the oldest house still standing in the city, and they have a number of artifacts, bits from his home. They have the mantelpiece from his home. <laughs> They have furniture. They have his statues from you know from his uh, burial place that was originally in New York and now it's down here. Huh. Uh, they have sculpture. They have a library with books about Poe based on Poe. We had a great time, and while we were there, we just happened to run into Jim Salakrup, who just happened to be the editor of that Spider-Man. That's right. That you yeah, were talking about. Right. I'm in mean, a small world. But I wouldn't want to paint it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Keith is a great admirer of Poe, so we uh, we checked it out. We uh, actually spent a good deal of time there, and it was it was fascinating. I didn't didn't know a lot of those funky things about Poe, and they have some of his clothes. They have they have his stockings of all things. Hmm. They they have so many interesting artifacts, and we really enjoyed it. And then we went to. The Richmond, um, excuse me, the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, which a lot of people are like, oh, it's you know, it's Museum of Virginia. How good a kid can it be? And I'm like, you guys, this is one of the wealthiest yeah. states in the union, and it's one of the finest art museums in the country. Mm. And he loved it. And uh, the unfortunately, the 19th century gallery is closed, which mm. is such a drag because that's where a lot of their um, Gustave Moreau and, sure, and yeah. the Impressionists and a lot of that stuff is in there. My, a lot of my favorite stuff. But the Fabergé wing, it, I, you can't miss it. It's just mm. glorious. All this Fabergé, all these Russian eggs and jewelry and frames and bits of work. And it, they have an amazing Art Nouveau and Art Deco collection of furniture. They've even got sculpture by the actress Sarah Bernhardt in there. Mm. Really good. There's a major, major sculpture by Sarah Bernhardt, uh, a marble in the um, National Gallery of Women in the Arts in Washington, D.C. 
but they've got a couple of smaller pieces here in Virginia. And I, I love the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. It's one of my favorite places I've ever been in the world. I just love it. Very cool, and I'm glad you're enjoying your time here at GalaxyCon and Virginia in general, it sounds like. Yeah, I, 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 I love Richmond. I truly love Richmond. I love the old buildings, federal-style buildings, the gardens, the monuments. Uh, I've got a friend coming from Australia. Where am I taking her? I'm taking her to Richmond. We're going to Maymont. Hmm. Um, and uh, uh, I, I was so happy because a gentleman came by yesterday and he's a restoration specialist all he does is restore old homes and buildings and we spent a happy half hour yesterday just talking about restoring old buildings you know one of my favorite things is to look at old houses and and i was talking about this tiny little town in virginia where i'm dying to buy one of these old houses uh but i i love uh, i love the atmosphere here i think it's a great city and for those who are fans of yours, I know you're coming up with a terrific con, I believe, in August. Are you doing terrific con? Or I'm was doing that? terrific okay. con. I'm doing Heroes Con, and there are two more conventions my agent is negotiating for that haven't been announced yet. But um, uh, those are—I don't generally do that many shows, and I didn't do that many last year. I think I only did one U.S. show last year, but um, but I'm doing about five this year because I need to buy a car. Oh, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> makes sense. But uh, but. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I I really love doing the shows. They're very pleasant. And this one's been very pleasant. It's a little dead here this morning on a Sunday, which is great for an interview. Right. But um, uh, other than that, it's, uh, it's been a really good show. It's been much better than I thought it would be. Good. By the end. First show. You know, you never know what to expect. Exactly. Yeah. So, so far, this is a, it's gotten off to a good start, I feel. Though. It's been a very, very good show. I'm sure they'll be back. Good. Well, yeah. we hope so. We're looking forward to seeing you in Trificon then. Thank you. Thank you for being on the air with us. Okay. Bye-bye. If you ever get the chance to see Colleen at a convention, I suggest you do it. She's a fantastic person, very talented individual as well. I grabbed an amazing Spider-Man comic that she drew. It was my very first Spider-Man comic I ever got, and she signed it for me. She's wonderful, and I highly recommend you see her at maybe the upcoming Trificon, like she mentioned. We're going to take our last break, come right back and wrap things up, so stand by. Hi, this is Karen Sony, and you're listening to me on Geek to Me Radio. Lucky you. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for and here we are in our final segment. Uh, really appreciate all the support I've gotten. I actually was at Superman Celebration last weekend broadcasting live. And I had a gentleman come up to me. He said, are you, uh, are you Mr. Geek to Me Radio? And while that's not the name of my driver's license, I said, well, yes, I am. And he, he said, I, I love your stuff. I follow you on Twitter, and I always love your show. Do you mind if I take a picture with you? Which made me feel so good that people actually appreciate this. So hopefully, if you're out there listening like Stacy was out there in Metropolis, Illinois, uh, you like what we do because we I do this. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I do it for me because I, I love talking to the people I I talk to and interviewing the people I interview, and uh, this is kind of my wheelhouse. This is something that I, I'm passionate about, and I love doing it. But I, the fact that other people love it, that's great because I always try to bring really cool guests uh, for everyone out there to hear. Uh, who hopefully you enjoy hearing the conversation I have with these great people, these actors, these creative types, these composers, these writers. And it's always a thrill for me to be able to do that. Um, If you are wondering how you can support the show, well, if you go to Amazon, we've got a link where you can actually shop 
Amazon through us. And it doesn't cost you a single thing. I will post that link again on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash geek2meradio. Anything you purchase through Amazon, if you get a Funko Pop, if you get a graphic novel, if you get a lawnmower, uh, whatever you get through Amazon, a small portion of that sale goes to geek to me Radio. And it's not tacked on. You're not paying extra for it. It's just that's something I do with my Amazon affiliate link. And uh, that's a great way to help the show. Always if following me on Twitter, spreading the word, uh, helping me uh, grow there on social media, Instagram and Twitter, because these conventions I go to, they do take into account things like how many Twitter followers he does, does he have, what uh, what's his reach. And the more people I have following me, the more access I can get. And it's all a big circle. It's circle of life or or in this case, circle of radio, I guess. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I do appreciate all the support I get out there, and I know there's lots of you who do listen to the show each week and who retweet my stuff and pay attention to my post on Instagram, and that really is appreciated. Hopefully you're checking out my sponsors as well. Once again, the City of St. Charles, discoverstcharles.com is the website for that. And of course, marcustheaters.com. I know there's 11 different states. If you're out there listening in those states, uh, you can go check out a movie at Marcus Theaters, and we highly recommend you do. I know here in the St. Louis area, I will not go see a movie unless it's at a Marcus Theaters, just because it's the best. Um, City of St. Charles has so much to offer, so I really appreciate the help of those sponsors. If you know of a business looking to advertise on the radio, you can always uh, shoot me an email, james at geektomeradio.com. And uh, obviously, facebook.com slash geek2me-radio. You can message the show there as well. We've got a phenomenal guest next week, Rick Burchett, who is the artist on Batman the Animated Series uh, for DC Comics. He's drawn Batman for 20 years in animated form. Uh, fantastic artist. He worked on the Blackhawk series. He worked on She-Hulk for Marvel. He's been on the show a couple times before, and he's going to be live in studio next week. We're going to have him. Uh, depending on how the time goes, we might try to throw in that interview we had with Mark Wade. Uh, phenomenal writer who did just about literally everything. Any comic book character you can imagine, he's written him and had a great run on Spider-Man. Uh, we'll try to get all that in next week if possible. And uh, there's a lot of interviews I have that I haven't had a chance to play yet, so we'll try to get to all those as well in the coming weeks here in July and August. So stick with us through the summer and uh, really do appreciate all the support I've gotten. So until next week, my friends. It's not in the way you watch I sound be. Thank you, Planet Earth. Good night.